This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann. I'm at Otago Polytechnic to Pukanga today, and I am joined by Moira Karatai. In fact, she's our guest today. Kia ora, Moira. <laughs> Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. We've been asking people how their bubble life was. How was your bubble life? Um, it was incredibly productive because I somehow managed to write a doctorate thesis. <laughs> so that was really good. <laughs> what was it about? Um, it was about so many things, but I guess what it was about in the end was practice, and that practice has been trans. My practice has been trans transformed as a result of it. It's been say, way. Well, I used to struggle to find purpose in my work, and now work finds me. People come and say, hey, Mawera, I've got this thing. Do you want to do it? And I get to say yes. And I really like it. I like this because people are coming to me for my specific skills now, which which is really good. And I know what my skills are. So, But you always had that purpose, didn't you? I did, but it wasn't very defined. So I was a bit of a flibbity-gibbet, really, bouncing from thing to thing, trying to find where I fit. And... And I, and I guess I'm going to be like that my whole life because I've got a very short attention span and I find it really hard to stick to anything for too long. I know now from having looked at my practice so deeply that that's actually part of my practice so that I get to go in and with an enormous amount of energy make some change happen, make things, you know, achieve the objectives that have been set and before I get bored and start resenting it, I'm off to the next thing and that suits me. But having spent time in your house, I've likened it to a a bus station of of there's a constant stream of people wanting stuff. Yes. Yeah, wanting and even, stuff and things and yeah. And wanting you. Yes, wanting me. So so now you've got more of a purpose. Is that helping that? Is it hindering? How is it working? That hasn't changed. I will always be the community go-to person who, who people, when they've got a problem they can't solve any other way, they'll find their way to my house and um, and I'll help them to solve their problem. And and I guess I've, I've moved from being the person who solves the problems to now much more focused on enabling other people, so helping them to solve their own problem. Because I, because I recognise, and when I was sort of going into my practice, is that I had 
I felt like I needed to be a hero for things. Actually, the best hero we can be is when we enable other people to be their own hero and build their confidence and, and, and give them confidence in their own ability to be in control of their own lives. So I, I had a bit of a shift in the way that I think. That's cool. So is that what your superpower is? Jumping, <laughs> jumping to a question I'm going to ask you in 35 minutes. Yeah, um, I guess it has become my superpower. Uh, and because I've always loved teaching people or um, being part of or facilitating learning experiences and also help. And I'm good at finding the good in others and helping them to see the good in themselves. So, so it's a really neat thing to help people to be their own hero and yeah, enabling them with their, with their own power. So you always said that completing a doctorate would enable lots of stuff to happen. And it has. And it certainly has. Yeah. Amazingly. Like, What's changed? I mean, like, like is, is the piece of paper making that much difference? The piece of paper is like a key that opens a door that you can't open unless you've got the piece of paper. And um, and it's not necessarily what the content of my work was. It's just that the piece of paper shows that you have the ability to think at, at a different level and that you can stick to things for long enough and that you can take a concept and expand it out um, in a way that other people can um, assess it to be valuable so you know you can write big long reports and you can um, share information and bring others on your journey so it, it all it does is it shows it shows that you can operate at that next level really and and I'll think about it all qualifications do that that notion of doctorateness that critical rigor creativity applied all those things it's it's people don't sort of set out realizing that that's the important thing at the no, start I it's a, no I'm doing idea. a project on x I had no idea Sam I didn't I didn't know how much it would change me and I was um I was traveling with somebody yesterday and we had a conversation about that and when you start thinking in this new way this well this evolved way I don't I don't know how to describe the way what the word is to describe it, but you can't unthink that way anymore. It um it comes it comes at a cost, which is that the way that you view everything is forever changed. And the conversations that you get to participate in are also forever changed. So this week I've been away working with a group and we are doing some work on uh, diverse and circular economies but a big part of that was a conversation about climate change and the the kind of conversations that we had that it's alarming where we're at right now and there's nothing we can you know like you can't unknow what you know and I guess that's the price that you pay the price that you pay for all of this education that enables you to open the door that gets you at the table where you hear these conversations. Sometimes we know things we don't want to know, but you just, you have to know. 
So how do you stop your head from exploding? Um, you do. You figure out what you can do. So climate change now, I have, because you know, you've know you known me for a long time, you know I'm a bit of a Pollyanna. There's always a silver lining and we're always going to find a solution. And, and I'm really sure now that that there that we have we've got almost no chance of being able to meet the the goal that's been set for our carbon and so our focus now has got to be on mitigating and adapting to the inevitable change and so that's my focus now is i've learned to do what i can rather than tr striving and trying to hope for something that i can't do yeah so i've reprioritized Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Eva Cassidy, Songbird. Why this one? Eva Cassidy's story is incredible. She uh, she died at quite a young age from cancer, but before she died, she produced a phenomenal amount of absolutely beautiful music. And um, I think we were so lucky that while her life was short, um, she shared her superpower with us, which was her singing. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
So you are working now? Yes. Perhaps like never before? Yes. <laughs> You've yeah. got jobs galore. I do. And it's a really nice mix of jobs, actually. So, um, uh, so uh, I'm working uh, in a project that has is funded by GNS called Our Changing Coast. It's over 0.6 for that role where I'm working with our coastal communities, facilitating conversations around uh, climate change uh, adaptation and mitigation. Because forever we have known as coastal communities that the solutions to the problems that we face going forward are in our community. We actually know what we need to do. Um, and, but it's been a real struggle to get anyone to listen. And now, so the point of this project is we're here to listen. We want to know what you see as the problems, where you see your own solutions, and capture the stories of this time. It's a very interesting time. So, uh, so that um, I'm working with a lot of uh, physical scientists and other social scientists in that project. We've got that for the next four years. And uh, I also have a point two with Otago University looking at diverse economies uh, and a point three teaching role with Otago University that starts uh, early next year teaching business. So that's kind of going back to where I was because I was teaching business and absolutely loved it and I really miss teaching. So I'm excited about um, about how that's going to look and it's all online so I get to do it from Whakatane. And you're carrying on with your trusts? Yep, got. Um, I'm still on the Manaki Kai Mamaku Trust as the Matawaka representative for the iwi of Tauranga Moana and the Waikato. Um, but I kind of am getting to the stage now where I feel like I've done everything I can there and um, uh, I, I've achieved what the objective of my involvement was. And so now I think someone else needs to come in and, and do something else that's really cool. So our co-governance model, which everybody said, you can't do co-governance properly. Actually, you can and we are and it's incredible. And we are all the gains that we're getting uh, in our pest control in the Kaimai Mamaku um, has gone even beyond what my hopes were. So it just shows that where there is a true willingness towards co governance, it really does work. And that's 35 iwi. Amazing, eh? Hey? So, what's the trick to that co governance? Making it uh, work? This make everybody hearing each other and having a, an agreement in the beginning that everybody can live with. So we've got um, six hapu that border on to, sorry, six um, hubs, uh, which is all of the hapu that border onto the Kaumaumamaku on both sides. And um, each of those hubs is represented by one person elected from those hapu. So they choose one person. So the six six hapu uh, six hubs are represented by Maori, and then six community representatives. So there are a lot of different community groups who um, do volunteer work in the Kaimaumamaku, and they've elected six people. And then I sit as the um, as the outsider, uh, as the Matawaka, so visiting from another waka, uh, with all my whakapapa being to the south. So um, and we. 
we we came together with this vision for restoring the modi of the nahiri so restoring the life force and the spirit and the and the and the life of the forest and we we mapped out how that would work and what that would look like and because we started with a super solid foundation it's worked it's worked really really well our first um, the first big job we had was to appoint a CE, and and that was that the proof was in the pudding just in that decision because everyone assumed we would end up with a Maori CE, but we didn't. We ended up with a non Maori CE, who we've actually interviewed on our show, Louise, incredible human being. The work that she is doing blows me away. Um, so the the success for co governance is in the foundation that you start from. We wanted to be a co-governance group. How do we make sure that it's not just co-governance in philosophy, but actually in practice? How do how do we stop co-governance washing? Yeah, that's exactly a really good term that needs to that we need to start using that term. Um, we do that by making sure that the agreement is robust in the first instance. You know, a Portiki District Council were given the opportunity to um, to implement Māori wards when all the other councils did. And at that time, so this is last year, they had, uh, their mayor was Māori, their deputy mayor was Māori, and more than half of their councillors were Māori. They said, we don't need co-governance. More than half of our community is Māori. We are never going to have any problem having Māori elected. But the problem is, they didn't get. It. They got one Māori elected in this last election, so they had the opportunity to put Māori wards in. But they made a whole lot of assumptions that this was going to work and that was going to work, but they didn't put anything in place to protect the position. And so that's how we make sure that co-governance works. We make sure it works by putting the protection in place to protect the position. And then we'd be very clear about what the need is. So in, in the case of our board, um, we had one of our Māori trustees stepped down. So we went back to that hub, which included all of those hapu who are part of it. And we said, this person has, is stepping down. These are the skills they brought to the table. And these are the other skills that we're really short on at the moment, you know, because we do skills assessment all the time to make sure that we've got everything covered. Could we please, could you please find someone within your groups who is like this, who can fill that gap? And they did. So it's just about being very clear about what we need and enabling people to fulfill that. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dinan's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui kia koutou kotahau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes, and I really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here, making better. Thank you. Now I know that for us all the last more than three years have been very challenging and we're all still in a space of recovery, recalibration, recognition of the trials and tribulations we've all been through and are still going through as we re-emerge into 
a new consensus reality. I know as I'm speaking to people all over the world in the midst of this global pandemic, um, there are so many different experiences and of course being part of the show is such a huge gift and pleasure and privilege to be able to hear all those different stories and experiences and, and really come together and share this very unusual and uh, very powerful levelling experience that we're all sharing together. Uh, so for myself, I know that uh, over the last several years, really that connection with the living world has been a great comfort to me and still is every day. That sense of oneness, that sense of whanaunatanga with all living things um, and that opportunity really to celebrate the beauty that we are surrounded by constantly and contain within us, all of us. I'm speaking to you from my highly adorned Toyota Wish, just full of all kinds of paraphernalia for Orokanui Eco Sanctuary, my heart's home workplace, and I have just been emceeing a quiz for the 2022 Otago Daily Times Taipuri Extra Super Quiz. So this is schools all over Aotearoa coming together and answering lots of questions, predominantly about our paradise home, Aotearoa, and really enjoying the culmination of a years-long process of going through heats in other parts of Aotearoa. So a real privilege again for me to be in that position to connect with and encourage all these beautiful young people. Their consciousnesses, they're really shining forth and all the knowledge they've accumulated being celebrated. And, uh, and of course our paradise home being celebrated, Aotearoa. So many different facets to explore and highlight as part of this quiz. And of course, as part of this quiz, I was able to speak a little bit about the babies that have been born at Orokanui. So the, the, the Ruru babies who are nesting in the Kakanis boxes for the first time this year. Our baby Taka here, our baby Falcon, our baby Kaka. So it's been a really great bumpy year for babies at Orokanui, so very exciting. And I'm coming home now to fill up the car with peka peka bird feeders off, off all around Aotearoa to feed our beautiful native birds. And of course also preparing for the 86th birthday of one of my best best friends, Upoko David Allison, who's an amazing man and a real visionary and a, a great rakatira, a great leader in our community working with young people here in uh, Aote and over in the Yukon in Canada, um, establishing special education schools and a phenomenal man and um, also writing the Taipuri for this area, so the first marine reserve for this area. And um, he's given me a great shopping list of special things to get for his birthday celebrations today, so I'm excited for that. And it's, you know, just reminding me all the time that we're constantly surrounded by these beautiful, beautiful living stories and we have the opportunity to come together and share them and hear them and appreciate them and really be touched by how precious our, our time together is. And whilst we are now returning to a real hustle and bustle, if we can find the time to slow down and listen and appreciate how wonderful that is. So thank you all for having me and I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks so much. Kakite. You are listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Mawera Karatai. Mawera, you're talking about your one of your new jobs, the Our Changing Coast work. 
about facilitating conversations. You had a heavy emphasis on storytelling in your thesis. Is that how it came about? It is. Um, I, if someone who knew uh, the work I was doing in my thesis um, heard that the team who was putting the bid together was looking for somebody who had my specific skill set to help write the bid um, to give a different lens. And so they asked me um, and I was like, well, that's really cool. And it was a voluntary position. I had a lot of time available at that time. So I thought, yep, I'll, I'm in for that. So we got science excellence, which was really cool. And then didn't hear anything back for months. So I stopped thinking about it. And then I was up at, uh, at Summerhill for the mountain biking for Ames Games. And I got this email through saying, congratulations, your bid was successful. <laughs> Could have knocked me over with a feather. I was in fact you were my first call, Sam. <laughs> so it was it was an extraordinary moment. Um and uh and so now the work starts. So we've just had our first team meeting last week where I met the rest of the leadership team. So my role is the lead social researcher. Uh and uh and I'm excited about that. And I love how at the moment, while I've got a few different things going on, they actually all slot together to create this massive opportunity to be part of change. So what does being the lead social researcher mean you're actually doing? Uh, it means I'm doing a lot of social research, having lots of conversations, but also working with a team. So I've got a team of people who will work with me because I can't possibly do the whole job by myself. So. It's just, you know, facilitating a conversation within our team about what, what does it, what do our roles look like and how do we support one another. And um, so we've, uh, in my team, there are people from various universities around Aotearoa uh, who've got, you know, different specialties. And so we're, we're a really diverse team in the social, social research side. And I'm excited about how I get to learn from these people as well because they're, you know, different different disciplines from me. So their view, their worldview, their way of collecting information, everything will be different from mine. Uh, so really cool learning opportunity for all of us to learn from each other. So what's the, the intention? The intention is to somehow blend that, that social lived experience and the climate science? Yes. Yeah, it is. And, and it's about also... Uh, enabling the community with a deeper understanding of what their issues are. So if we have a look, you know, there's, there, there's um, quite a few maps around at the moment where you can sort of plug in your town and you can see what your coastal inundation risk is with various scenarios, um, uh, with, with the ice melting and the sea level rising. So if we don't do anything about our temperature now, in 50 years the water will be here and this is your risk but that's only part of the story the other part of the story is the seismic activity so while you might look at say uh, Matata which is a beach near where I live where you've been Sam we've been we've been out to Matata beach um you might look at that and think well that is quite low lying and because it's a beach uh, and it is at risk of coastal inundation, where actually it's not because the, the, the land's actually coming up there because of seismic activity. So, and then you you might look at Ohopi Beach, which is over the hill from where I am, and you might think, well, it's so heavily populated, nobody would ever have built an entire town on that land. Um, that must be going up too, and in actual fact, it's dropping. 
So, so it's at quite significant risk of coastal inundation in the future because, you know, sea level rise and land dropping, that makes risk. So what do we do about those houses and those people and their lives and the school that's right there on the beach and the businesses that operate from there? So it's about having those conversations all around the country. How much does the experience of the people feed into the work of the mathematicians and climatologists and whoever else doing the the hard science? I think that um, it that for a really long time there's been quite a big divide between the social and the and the physical. And for us to be able to, just like we're talking about with co-governance, about being very clear about how we work together and what the result of working together is, that's how this this um, project is kind of like that too, because the social and the physical are coming together to be one united team moving forward. So as much as I, like I am not any sort of um, geoscientist, I have had to learn a lot really quickly about how all of this works. And, and a, um, somebody who's you know got their lens on what's happening under the ground isn't necessarily thinking about those that are living above it. And so we, we share our views to make sure that we're all looking at the whole picture. Because if we're looking at the whole picture, when we come together to talk to our communities, we're able to enable our communities with the knowledge they need to make better decisions as well. Yeah, so I see this teamwork, and and I think that we actually need to take that view. I mean, I you know, if we think about politics, Labour and National are never going to form a coalition and start working together. But actually, the best result would be if they did. <laughs> you know, like we we need to take the for the kind of challenges that we have ahead of us in every way. Like if you consider um, here in the Eastern Bay of Plenty. We have three of the four highest meth-consuming communities in the country, between Mirupara, Oportiki and Kawaro. Those three are here in the Eastern Bay, three of the top four meth-consuming communities in the country. The only way we are going to be able to fix that is by collaboration, wide collaboration where everybody comes together for a single purpose, which is to solve that problem. And that is going to be the case with this work, that um, the Changing Coast work as well. And it's, How... it's the same as the work I'm doing on the Kaimai Mamaku Trust. And I think maybe that's my real superpower is my ability to build teams that can work together, really diverse teams that can work together for a single purpose. So how could we apply that at a national and international level where we can have that collaboration yet maintain the critique where the critique is a, a contest of ideas, not a being negative for the sake of it. Yep, I get that. And that's, that's often tricky. It's tricky to have people who, who, um, who, are, who will throw mud at a thing because it's important that we consider other perspectives, but actually they throw mud just because they want to be contrary. There's always the contrarians are always in the world. So... Um, in terms of building uh, groups for national and international change, we first of all have to identify what the changes they want to see and why they want to see, because it's in finding the commonality between all of those groups, that's where the power is. There has to be a glue that binds. 
So where we have a problem is where somebody doesn't want to see change. So for example, in a place in a place that relies on being able to burn huge amounts of fossil fuel in order to keep its economy's wheels from falling off, they're not going to be highly motivated for change. And so we would have to go digging to find out what is the, what's the lever we can pull, what's the driver, what's the thing that we can get them to say, actually, that is a thing that we're not happy with and we do want to change, and how do we tie that into the, into the purpose of the group? You talked about the separation. We've seen quite a lot of that in the last couple of years. We've seen quite a lot of people being contrary for the sake of it, or perhaps that's actually become part of their identity. Yes. And particularly for marginalised groups. Does that, not the co-governance model, but does that bringing together, is that a clue there? Well, I avoid those people as best I can. <laughs> and I and I like to think that when we're building these co-governance models that we're on alert for people who have got that mindset because they have the power, as much as I have the power to positive this whole thing together, they have the power to negative it all apart. <laughs> and I don't, so they, and, and actually that's, that's that's where they take their power, I guess, is where people people who have the power to affect change, but they just want to break things. I don't understand that mindset, but I see it everywhere at the moment. You're right. But in your work on climate change and your work in terms of circular economy, you'll have people who don't believe that for whatever reason. Yep. Is, is it helpful to be telling the scientists that? Like, like how is that adding value to the scientists? Yeah, so they well, the know, last... but, yeah. but, but but trying to like bring together disparate views isn't very helpful when some of them are wrong. Yep, that is true. With all respect. And the, the last person who said to me that they didn't believe in climate change, my response to that was, it was at a public meeting actually, and this guy stood up and said that, and my response was, climate change doesn't care whether you believe in it or not. It doesn't care. <laughs> it's just going to keep happening, mm. and um, and 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 that will be my kind of attitude towards um, towards that because, like, if the science was marginal or if it was a disputed thing, or you know, if there was contrary science, then then maybe I would then I would maybe bother with giving energy to that, but it's it, none of that is the case. We have got a problem, and all the science says we have a problem. The majority of scientists say we have a problem. The evidence is around us all the time now. And if you can ignore all the scientists and ignore all the science and ignore all the evidence, and then I have, I kind of, I guess I'm a bit envious of you because you get to just live, you know, with your head in the sand or you get to sleep at night. I guess it's what you were saying before about change and not wanting to change because the the being able to carry on doing what we were doing before, either through pretending that it's not happening or admitting that it's happening but we can't do anything and it's too late anyway, 
or that there's some sort of miracle around the corner that's going to save us, it's kind of a more comfortable place to be. Yeah. So how do we tell us the stories of change in a positive way? By asking people to consider where the impact is already evident in their lives. And it's just about, because sometimes people just live with this concern or this worry, and that's what the storytelling is so important. Because people live with these concerns and their worries, and they don't always understand it, and they can't always articulate it. But when you sit down with someone and you talk about changes that they're seeing around them, and then... You know, as soon as you start talking about that, it unlocks all the other stuff that comes out. The fear starts to come out. The stories become really real. And then we can address that. You know, like, I was talking to Jack. It was his birthday yesterday. He's 13. And he wanted a new monitor for his birthday. And I said, okay, cool. We'll go buy you a new monitor. This was, oh, it was last week. I said, I'd go buy him a new monitor. And then... Today, I said, I will go buy you a new monitor. And then I thought, wasn't I just standing on a stage on Monday and Tuesday talking about the fact that we just buy new stuff without giving any thought to it? And what's wrong with the old monitor? So I said to him, why do you actually need a new monitor? He goes, ah, because it will make a better picture. Are you sure it will make a better picture? What's the evidence of that? What's wrong with your picture? What can't you do? We went through this whole conversation and then he goes, Mum, I don't actually need a new monitor, do I? I said, no, Jack, you don't need a new <laughs> monitor. But, you know, like we, we just don't, we're not thinking things through. We get into these habits of buying stuff, more stuff getting made, replacing things that don't need replacing, buying things that can't be fixed, not holding our manufacturers to account. Like, for example, my washing machine, I actually cannot... If something's blocking the pump in my washing machine, I can't fix it myself anymore. I've always been able to do that. I can no longer do it. I should never have bought this washing machine. I should have gone and found one where I could still do those basic maintenance things myself. But we're not holding our manufacturers to account for the decisions they're making in planned obsolescence. They are designing things to fail so that we chuck it away and buy something else. So... Our decision, so, and I think that's another conversation that we really need to start having in a really big way. Because every time we buy a new washing machine, it's at a massive environmental cost. I'll come back and talk about what we do about that after we've had your second music choice. What are we having? Martin Sexton. Glory Bound. Why this one? I love this song. It is my sing at the top of my voice when I'm driving in my car. If you've never heard Martin Sexton, I recommend that you find him on Spotify or wherever, wherever you get your music. Um, he is a uh, an American folk singer and yodeler. <laughs> so he's really, really interesting. And I can't yodel, but I like to try at the top of my voice. Just like a jet plane in and out of sight 
Oh, I was hauling ass at a million miles an hour Wondering how hard I hit When they came into the station They said I was bad beyond repair But I got no qualms with my situation Say here I am So say Jam your number, please. Tie them up all my old fantasies. Put them in a big red bow and send them care of me. Checking it out every night on the known. Oh, the car battery's dead again. So I got my head dead set against it. Sing, Shay, Sheree, 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 won't you dare to say, Sheree, 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 won't you dare to sing, Sheree, Sheree, Sheree. Mm-hmm. Leave a message and your number, please Take the time to want to satisfy me Take all my old fantasies and send them care of me Hey, 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 hey I'm taking a chance I now have a vision of Moira yodeling in her car. <laughs> you poor man. I'm sorry about that. 
Before the music, we were talking about planned obsolescence and about making change. So what have you learnt through all of the change and the positive projects you've been involved in about how we actually do that? So if we take planned obsolescence, there's, there's actually just stuff going on with planned obsolescence, but if that was a new thing that had come up that, that you'd you know heard people talking about and you wanted to make a difference, how do we go about actually achieving that? We first of all have to stop um, demanding to have an economy that exists to grow. So the, the, the actual root cause of that problem is the constant demand for growth. Growth, 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 growth at any cost. So the, the fault is in neoliberal economics. The solution is a rethink of how we measure success. How would you measure success? Mm, by the impact of my activities. You know there's a question coming up and what's your biggest success? <laughs> so does that help does that help you have a vision for the future? Is it about having that impact? Um I think so because if I feel like if I facilitate enough conversations with the right people at the table and get uh, and challenge enough of the way that we think, it's a critical mass situation, isn't it? When enough people demand change, then change happens. It, but we have to get enough people, first of all, who, who, will, who will have the demand for change. But, you know, if I, were, if I jumped on my bike now and rode off to Harvey Norman and sat outside, I would watch people go in buying new lounge suites that they didn't need or washing machines that they don't need or just because they want change, just because they've got money in the bank and they can afford it or just because they can put it on tick. People, and I, and I think that when you're, un, we're programmed that if you're unhappy, you go spend money and that will fix it. So there's some social issues that need to be solved in that space too. So while we don't like change, somehow we like new stuff change. Yeah, we like new stuff change because it makes us feel better because, oh, look, I've got a new thing. Oh, yeah. not only have I got a new thing, I can be seen to have a new thing. Yes. And gosh, I'm fancy. Look at my thing. Yeah, that's exactly it. But what happened to your old thing? What did you do with the old one? How did you dispose of it? What was the impact of that? If we could return everything that we bought to the manufacturer and they had to dispose of it, that would be amazing. But we were a really long way off that. And one of the big bad um, problems there is uh, since so much of what we consume now in terms of technology and, and even just general household things and our vehicles is all made in Asia, the impact of returning it to Asia to be broken down and and repurposed, reused, recycled, um, makes that uh, a, a ridiculous notion in itself. And that's kind of externalising our problem even worse to... Exactly. So to first of all, we ask those countries to destroy their natural environment and impact on their people and create the product. And then we ship it some way in some carbon-producing, fossil-fuel-burning way. We ship it to our country where we consume it and use it and then dispose of it um, without reusing or recycling. Um, because how do you recycle so much of the stuff that we bring in now?
Well, we're, as you know, this, the tagline for our show started out as positive conversations. Then we decided to add um, positive but not deluded. And then I've forgotten who it was. And I should go back and figure out who it was, convinced us to add a dash of deluded. Yeah, a dash of deluded is a very important thing. It's so what? Yeah, how does that work for you? Well, I used to be completely deluded, I think, because I used to think there was nothing we couldn't fix. So I was very happy living in my bubble. Actually, my ex-husband, I think that was why he just didn't want to stay married to me, one of the many reasons, I'm sure. But the main one was because he just could not stand that I was always sure that everything was going to be fine. And I could always find some way forward that was positive, and it used to annoy him so much. Um, but uh, I've come to realize that actually that sometimes things aren't going to be fine. And sometimes there isn't a positive solution that will give us the outcome that we want. So what we have to figure out is what is the outcome that we can have and can we live with that? And if we can't, what can we change? Because to me, the idea of, our, of the total destruction of our planet is not acceptable. I don't find that acceptable at all. I don't find it acceptable that uh, our coastal communities here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, are at risk of people losing their homes. We're already very close to the point where our government will have to create its own insurance company to be able to insure those coastal communities because the insurers who exist to make money off our suffering will no longer insure them because the cost will be too high. We've already got places in Fakatani you can't get insurance under the escarpment, for example. You can have insurance uh, under the escarpment in Fakatani until about six years ago when half of the escarpment fell down behind this house and um, did massive property damage. And from then, if you then buy a house and go to your insurance company, it can't affect you as insured, but it can affect um, new insurance where insurance companies are just saying no. Um, same thing happened in Edgecombe after the floods. Insurance companies just said no, not willing to take the risk. So our whole coastal community is in the big risk basket now. So the so the impact of that is huge. How many people live in coastal communities? A lot. <coughs> Property values in coastal communities are higher than in uh, inland communities. So there's big change coming whether we like it or not. We might as well enjoy it. Well, yes, but we should actually try and mitigate it as much as we possibly can. And we're not doing that. We, what is it? We've, um, the goal that was set to reduce our emissions to stop the temperature increase by going over 1.5 is something like 794 days away from now, and we're not going to make it because nothing has changed. Yeah. So what do we do? when? And so three days before that, so in 791 days, everyone's going to go, oh, my God, it's three days away. We better do something fast because that's what we do. We leave it to the last minute. So leaving it to the last minute, I have some questions to end the show and okay. negative time to do them, as usual. <laughs> so very quickly, what's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Um, really, I think it's my collaborations. What's your superpower? Um, it depends on the day. <laughs> you can't avoid the question. Ah, oh, okay. My superpower is giving a damn. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Hell yes, I do. It's even in the title of your thesis. <laughs> it is. <laughs> what motivates you? Um, 
giving a damn. I really, I want there to be, I want people to be able to live their best possible life. I'm not going to let you answer the same, use the same answer for all your questions, although you could actually. What's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? The biggest challenge is trying to help people find that reason in themselves for change and connecting all of those reasons up to make a way forward, a team moving forward in the same direction. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Uh, Before you replace anything, think about what the cost is to replace it to our environment, uh, not just in terms of buying the new product, but also getting rid of the old product. Do you really need it? If you don't need it, don't do it. Moera, you are an amazing change agent. You are an amazing person to work with on a regular basis. Um, and I'm so happy for you that that the dream of making this difference through through being able to to help people with their conversations, to help people see a way to a positive future, and being able to turn that to any of the random stuff that comes in through your door and down your telephone line and and being able to sort of see that I can make a difference and I can help you to make a difference no matter what the thing is it's quite remarkable it's delusional (laughs) (laughs) so thank you very much for joining me today thank you been listening to Blowing Bubbles, Positive Conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic, which is brought to you by Tipu Kanga. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann. And my guest today has been Mawira Karatai in Fakatani. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Marty Wa. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.